Hello, and welcome to the Mystagogy Podcast. In a tradition going back to the earliest centuries of Christianity, many newly initiated Christians were prepared for lives of faith through a formation designed to deepen their spiritual, liturgical, and community life. This period of formation was called mystagogy, a word which, in Greek, means leading through the mysteries. This program of mystagogy is being developed and taught by Barbara Nicolosi Harrington, a university professor of screenwriting, cinema, great books, and theology. The program is hosted by the Adult Faith Programs at St. Stephen Martyr Church in Chesapeake, Virginia. In this episode, Barbara Nicolosi Harrington discusses the third to seventh mansions in St. Teresa of Avila's interior castle. Welcome, everyone. Thank you for coming again. And we're going to finish... <laughs> the interior castle. <laughs> yeah, right. Um, we're going to do a, you know, a kind of, yeah, just hopefully wet your appetite job finishing up here. But I figure, you know, all of you are in the seventh room anyway. So you, you know, you all know this stuff. And, uh, but, um, <laughs> I know, right? Yeah. I mean, when I'm reading it, I always go, what's the point of me even reading this, really? You know, but it's like, I guess it's just to appreciate that there are saints in the church who are experiencing it. And who knows, maybe, maybe God will, will uh, surprise us one day and give us something we truly don't deserve. Huh? But which is Teresa's point. Huh? So, okay, very good. Well, we're going to jump in then and, and yeah, pick up um, with the just a little uh, kind of connecting from the second mansion and then jump into the third and take off and see where we get. Okay. I've been tweaking my little prayer here that uh, I, I took from Teresa. Basically what I did was I took lines out of the book all over the place and then kind of stitched them together. So now we have a, a longer prayer, which probably most of you can't see. Um, Are you able to see it um, enough to that we can? Oh, okay. Very good. All right. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Let's pray this together. May my efforts to pray, Almighty Father, please you. Prune my spirit, water and renew all that is hard and dry in me. Pull out the weeds of sin and self-will. Furrow my life according to your will. Plant your life in me. Grant me to grow always more in my desire to enter that place in my innermost being where I may be united to you. Stir up in my heart an intense fear of ever offending you. Grant me the humility to wait in patience for your favors. When you grant me favors, may it fill my heart with a song of praise and deepen my love for you. I pray for those who do not pray, do not desire to seek you, who are trapped in patterns of serious sin. May your grace pierce their darkness. May all those who have been redeemed by the blood of Jesus Christ come to understand the great dignity to which they have been called. I ask for all this through the merits of your Son, who lives and reigns forever. Amen. St. Stephen Martyr, pray for us. St. Teresa of Avila, pray for us. In the name of the Father, and the Son, of the Holy Spirit, amen. Every time I'm working on these things, I get this thought every so often. wonder what Teresa thinks of what we're doing, whether we're getting her right or anything like that. I hope she's pleased. Uh, I know if, if people were reading something I wrote 400 years later, I would be pleased. So, uh, you know, I mean, <laughs> got to be good. Um, I thought this was cool. Uh, I, I stumbled over it while doing my prep for this. And this is the actual, actual manuscript of the interior castle, uh, as Teresa Vavila wrote it um, in her little journal book there. So quite something that they have that, you know, this... Yeah, really neat. Uh, Okay, so I wanted to just remind us of the second room because it sets up the third room and and the subsequent ones. And if you'll recall, 
Teresa says that one of the things that happens when you are in that second room, right? So you're, you're still a beginner. Uh, you're still, you know, not completely turning your back on your like little things that you, that you're, you're, you're basically trying to make it work. Your little stuff plus Jesus. It's like trying to negotiate. What can I keep of myself? My little things that I need and still, you know, get closer to God. And, but she says that one of the marks of people in the second room is they start to hear the Lord calling clearer. And then she makes this list of all the places that you hear God speaking to you suddenly with a clarity, maybe that you didn't before. And you, and you, what, or, or it's that you understand this is God speaking. So she says that, Obviously, right off the top, words spoken by other good people, suddenly you go, oh, that's God speaking to me, right? Or um, she says sermons, suddenly, suddenly you hear things in sermons that you're like, oh, that, that's just for me. And, and, and um, so the, the intensity of that, uh, it's, it's, you know, it's kind of, you're, you know, suddenly it's like which is what it should be huh um then she's saying good books good books uh you re- you're reading them and all of a sudden it's like this is god speaking to me huh? um illnesses she lists so that's an interesting one illness what is god saying to me in this it's not a question we tend to even ask ourselves one of my favorite um it's like a little segue here. So one of my favorite uh, things on this is from Anne Lamott, who has a book, uh, I think it's called, I'm not sure that one's Traveling Mercies, maybe. I'm not sure which book it is anyway, but Anne Lamott is a, a kind of, um, she's a brilliant writer. She's kind of a little whacked out. Uh, she hasn't made it to Catholicism. She's made it to Christianity. But anyway, uh, she's, she's, a, she's got some beautiful insights and then she's a little crazy. Having said that, she says this about prayer um, that, you know, basically we don't know what to pray for because we don't know if when bad things happen to us, if we're meant to be learning from them. And so she says, so, you know, she uses the analogy of somebody who broke their foot and says, you, you know, you don't want to say, God, fix my foot. Because maybe having a broken foot will make you patient. People will have to take care of you. You will learn to slow down. She says, to the same extent, you don't want to say, Jesus, keep my foot broken because that's sick and twisted, right? <laughs> and I realize I've told this story before here. So here we are, but it's a good one, you know. Um, and, and then she says, so basically what you say is, Jesus, foot. And raise the broken foot into God's presence and say, here it is. And that, so she says, do that with the people in your life where you, you don't tell God how to fix them. Don't tell God how to fix yourself even. Just raise whatever it is into God's presence. So, uh, so illness, she says, uh, is a very, you know, kind of a clarion way to hear. And she, she herself in her book of her life talks about this a lot. Whenever God really needed to get through to her, she got sick because she was such an active, moving, you know, dynamo. Sometimes he needed to correct and she needed to be laid low. Um, Also through trials, which is related to illness, trials of, of whatever kind, people who don't like you people who like you wrongly or, you know, uh, your kids, you're, you know, not, you're losing your job, money, you know, all these things. Uh, She says now become for you. Hmm. What is God saying to me here? Which I remember father Benedict Groeschel saying to me at one point, there's only one question of spiritual direction. What is God saying to me today? Right. And so for Teresa, she's like this. When you start praying more intentionally, he's going to start speaking to you through all of these things. Uh, And she says, and and finally, even through the brief moments that you spend in lukewarm prayer, which I think is funny. The last one on the list is 
you know, when you're really trying to go to God. And she's like, yeah, that's probably not where he's mostly going to be speaking to you. Interesting. Okay. Now, so that sets us up that now for the third room, which is the room of penance and humility. And so she calls it the servant's quarters in the mansion because penance and humility are the servants of this whole process. You're not going to get anywhere without them in terms of prayer and the relationship with God. So she says one of the marks of people who have kind of moved out of the second room and kind of into the third, right? The next level is that they become fond of doing penance and going to pray. Like prayer, sometimes it just stops being this, oh, I've got to go pray. I said I would. I got to do my 15 minutes, whatever. And it becomes, oh, I really want to. I, I made friends with someone uh, last year who really uh, would just be like, oh, it's adoration night. I can't wait. And I was like, yeah. <laughs> but it was so beautiful to see. It was real. And, and um, so, um, but th- so that's one of the things that's going to happen now. It's like, oh, I get to pray now. As opposed to, I have to pray now. And then she says, that another mark is that they are going to spend their time well. For Teresa, whenever she says that kind of phrasing, what she means is they're not just scurrying around, being busy, 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 you know, kind of half focused on whatever, just caught up in all the frenzy. She's like, that's not spending your time well. Teresa wants you to live in a reflective way. And so she says, one of the signs when you've been praying for a while with a more focused way is you're suddenly your time gets spent better. The scurrying stops a little bit. Um, And then you're going to practice works of charity towards others to, I guess, a more noticeable degree. And uh, they are going to be balanced in their speech and dress and self-governance. So these are all the signs that your prayer is like working, you know, I guess is the way to say it, but it's happening. And, and she says, you're going to start seeing these things. Now uh, she's going to say most serious believers don't get beyond the third room. This is where most believers end up who are serious about it. Remember, she said most people don't get out of the courtyard. But when people decide they're, they really want to get closer to God, they're going to make prayer a priority. They're going to do it in a more you know disciplined, focused way. She's going to say most people get stuck here in the third mansion. Yes. What does she say about when God asks you to do something, but you don't do that? I mean, well, the first thing she would say is, are you sure he asked you? And so this question of knowing you're in God's will is the point, basically, of this third room. Figuring out what, what am I to do and how do I know? Now, I think she would say, whenever we know what God's will is, or we have a very good sense of it, and we don't do it, this is what the definition of sin. Right? Sin is not doing God's will intentionally. But what do you, mm-hmm. what if that, what he's asking you to do is way beyond what you think okay. abilities are? Yeah, 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 that's an interesting question. Remember, the saints, uh, the church does not require us to be saints, You're not, you don't have to be a saint, a hero in that sense to get to heaven. You just have to not offend God consciously and have to want to be with him. So uh, my sense of those kinds of things is it always comes as an invitation where God will say, this is good. I want this. You should do this. And then with me, it's always, yeah, no. Uh, thank you. I've got it. I'll take it from here. Uh, and I, I generally have to be dragged kicking and screaming into 
the thing. And then I always remember, oh yeah, God kind of really showed me he wanted me to do this. I just was sure he didn't really mean it. Or, you know, you just don't understand, Lord. This program is one of those, right? I know. Do we have someone here tonight who's like, I thought it was for new Catholics. I was like, so did I. <laughs> but that was clearly not what God was doing. And so, you know, hopefully, you know, I'm 58 and I've learned to adapt, right? You know, as opposed to just, <gasps> but anyway, so, yeah. Yes. Some of that is affirmation that you get from others to mm-hmm. see in you the thing that God is asking you to do. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. you and I can say, I'm, I'm not doing that. Mm-hmm. I'm not doing that. Mm-hmm. And other people are saying, oh, we need this. Thank you. Thank yeah. Oh, golly. This, yeah. And then mm-hmm. other people. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, St. Ignatius lists the four steps of discernment, the four ways you know, and just really quick, because we're going to do this in, in two years um, in that series, but, um, but just as a preview. But the four steps are, number one, you're living, when you're living a godly, prayerful, and for us, sacramental life, the first sign that you're supposed to do something is the desires of your own heart. Like you, you kind of are drawn. Number two, the scriptures affirm the thing that you want to do, you know, and it's like, yeah, this is, this is something that the, you know, that fits to this, to charity or the works of, of mercy or something, right? The scriptures give you uh, support. Number three, prayerful people tell you, you should do this thing. And then number four, she, St. Ignatius says, a door opens in front of you. God is not that subtle with us because we're not that bright. <laughs> so usually, you know, he'll, he'll open a window or a door in front of you and, and it'll be an invitation. Um, and that's what always makes me laugh because I'm the one that will stand there going, I need a sign, you know, like right in front of uh, the door being, you know, completely open in front of me. But uh, anyway, so, so there you go. You know, you're, you're rooted in St. Ignatius there. Okay. So, uh, so here's marks of, of the, the, the third room, the, the, the more serious prayer you're going the, the she says, you're going to really start to be bothered about offending God. And, and guarding against even little sins. Because she says, most of us are, a f- we, we, we kind of um, aren't really, oh, I offended God. We feel guilty because we shamed ourselves. We feel guilty because somebody saw us like lose our temper or do something bad, right? And, and so this is what drives us to confession. This is what drives us to repentance. But she says the difference now is starts to become because God is becoming a person to you. It's like, I want to be a source of delight when, as Teresa, the little flower says, Lizure, I want to be that one when Jesus looks at the world and goes, oh my gosh, Doris, oh, Stan, oh, Peter, you know, but then he goes, oh, Therese. Right? Like Therese says, I want to be the one that gives Jesus's heart a moment of joy. And so you see, this is like different than, you know, kind of the duty thing or getting caught at it or feeling like we're, we've been slimed or we slimed ourselves. Uh, she says they're going to regularly practice self-denial and interior reflection. And the self-denial she's looking at here, a lot of it is going to be related to prayer itself, Right. I'm going to have to find, uh, you know what, 15 minutes a day isn't enough. I have to find a half an hour, which means something else has to go. Which means, you know what, I'm not going to watch my lottery dream home tonight. Or, you know, no one less episode of Beat Bobby Flay. <laughs> or whatever it is, right? That, that, because the truth is our lives are quite full. If you're going to put something else in, something has to go. And so what's that going to be? She says they're going to spend their time well practicing, especially practicing acts of charity. Uh, The person who prays 
feels the heart of God for other people who are suffering. And so it becomes natural, a way to bring delight to the heart of God is to ease the burden of the people he loves. What can I do for them? Becomes a preoccupation here. Okay. So she's saying, this is not a bad place to spend your whole life. She says, but this is where most believers end here. This is as far as they get. Um, Oh, and balanced in speech and dress and self-government. Okay, good. Now, here's something else that's going to happen now. Spiritual aridity. Expect to be despised or to lose a little honor before men in this level. What do you think would cause that? So you're, you're praying more focused. You're giving it more time. God is speaking to you clearly. And suddenly people hate you. They hated him first. Okay, good. Yeah. People in the world are going to despise. I mean, just what I mm-hmm. do. Some mm-hmm. people are going to say it's your marriage, mm-hmm. your marriage is the first spouse. Mm-hmm. That second marriage is counterfeit. So, mm-hmm. so I am despised by some people, like you're ridiculous, mm-hmm. whatever. And it hurts, mm-hmm. but you have to learn to go, you know what? I'd rather be approved by God than man. And mm-hmm. I can do that for you. Yeah. So, yeah. And as Dan noted too, you know, Jesus was experienced a program. And that you would get to is it's like, okay, you know, okay. The, the presence of the just one is obnoxious to the world. Uh, here and then here. Yes. Uh, I was just thinking, you know, the, uh, basically, as in, people I think they can. I think it, it's they get threatened, don't they? Especially members of your own family. It's like, who do you think you are? We know you. We live with you. Right? Yeah. Yeah. I know. It used to be so fun. We used to talk about Bobby Flay together, and now you're not watching it, right? Yeah. Uh huh. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And and so Teresa's like. This is what in this world, which is not, this is, this is not the, the kingdom of God, this world, right? And so as soon as you start to reflect the values of the kingdom, you are going to attract appropriate as did Christ. Jesus says, I didn't come to bring peace, but a sword. And so there you go. So she's going to say, God desires that his chosen ones feel their wretchedness a little bit. Because here's the thing. Your prayer is working. You're feeling like your life is cutting a little together. You're living more balanced. You're getting insight. Be careful you don't turn into a cocky, obnoxious, full of yourself. So the remedy for that is that people treat you in a way that brings you down to earth. And then she says, because if humility is lacking, we will stay here for our whole lives in this place. All right. Yes. So I'm thinking about so, mm-hmm. being despised by people. She was cloistered. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Well, she was also dealing with some just real characters in the institutional corporate church. There was an archbishop who basically wanted credit for everything she was doing, you know, reforming the monasteries of Southern Europe. 
and just kept, you know, nailing her and, and thwarting her just so, uh, because he could. And so there was some of that going on too, but yeah, I mean, I tell people all the time, I have seen every ounce of human depravity and darkness. I was a nun for nine and a half years. The convent is a Petri dish of humanity where you take away the things that tend to separate people and protect each other from each other, you know, money, careers, you know, whatever. And you strip that away and now it's just people. And so, yeah, you see some stuff. Um, yes. But going back to that, you know, I mean, even Jesus sat there. Who persecuted him? Which describes him very Yeah. That should have mm-hmm. read and understood what the Bible predicted. Mm-hmm. And did. And he said, if you were blind, you would have no, yes. no guilt. But you see. You know who I am. And they're jealous. They were jealous. They felt like, what does it say in Isaiah about, about the just one, right? The presence of the just one is obnoxious to us because he reminds us of our failures and our inability to live up to our training. So there it is. Now, what is the reaction of the person most of the time who's been going like, okay, Jesus, I'm spending this like extra time with you. I'm praying regularly. It's working. I'm feeling, you know, things are getting together. And then people start being mean to me. And she says, his majesty will try them in some minor matters and they will go about so disturbed and afflicted that it puzzles me and even makes me fearful. Uh, This line here is um, uh, from a story of one time Teresa had just come back from reforming a monastery, two monasteries, I believe. And it had been a tremendous success in that everything, you know, worked and it had been very hard and, you know, whatever, but it had worked. And so she's coming back to Avila and she's in uh, a carriage and it's storming outside. And uh, so pouring rain and doesn't the wheel fall off the carriage and the carriage smashes open and Teresa ends up dumped on her head in a mud puddle. And she says basically this, excuse me, I'm the great reformer of religious life. And Jesus says to her, this is how I treat my friends. And she says, well, no wonder you don't have too many of them. But, but this is very interesting, isn't it? We kind of expect that God, we're like on your side, Lord. And shouldn't it be that things go easier for me now? And I especially hear this um, in my, my evangelical friends. They will say, God is really favoring you when things are going well, but not when people experience the cross. And, and so it's kind of like, oh, you know, if something bad, if people aren't liking you, there must be something wrong with you. And it's like, maybe it's just the gospel. Now, believe me, I always tell my students, don't you blame Jesus because you're being a jerk if people don't like you. Like, don't put that on Jesus. But sometimes it's this thing Teresa's talking about where they're, you're just being around you is reminding them of what they should be. And they don't want that. Because if you're sincere, mm. we all know people that are sincere. Yeah. And we might feel threatened mm-hmm. by them because we know that they're sincere people. I don't know. I mean... I think you can be sincere and be obnoxious to someone who doesn't want to hear what you have to say. Right. I mean, there's sometimes no good way to say, you know, something or even just to be it, you know, like sometimes just being like, they know what you must be thinking because you have a different set of values and, and there's just almost no way, you know? Yeah. Uh, and, and so, you know, believe me, I've, I've encountered this 
um, quite a bit in working in Hollywood. I would not, I would like, I am not judging you. And people would come up to me and they would be like, you know, you know, and, and I'd be like, I'm, <laughs> you know, but uh, it, they would just come at you, you know? And so, so yeah, interesting. Yes. I mean, we are, but not, you know, it's interesting. Uh, it's not really clear that people aren't liking you because of the gospel from Teresa. She's just saying you're going to have people at this stage who give you a hard time. And it might be because of the gospel. But again, she says the point here is that Jesus needs to keep you humble. And it can't be that everything is coming up roses. So, okay. Now she tells the analogy of the rich man in reduced circumstances. This is another one of her great analogies in the book. Where she says, here the person makes the excuse that he feels the way he does, which is kind of angry at God for letting bad things happen to me because I'm on your side now. She says, because he wants things for the poor. She says, but I believe God has a greater desire that such a person conform to the divine will. What is she talking about here? So it's this person who says, you know, God, you got to give me good things so I can share them with your people. But when you give me bad things, now I can't share them with people. And she says, so the mistake you're making is thinking, first of all, that God needs what anything from you to work through you with people, right? But number two, this idea that you have to be comfortable to be a good tool for the kingdom. And uh, this reminds me of the story of St. Paul, right? St. Paul's 2 Corinthians 12 says, I had a thorn in my flesh while I was trying to doing all this ministry. And I had a thorn in my flesh. He said, a messenger from Satan that beat me. And three times I asked the Lord to take it away so I could do your work better. You love this three times. It's probably like three times an hour for like 10 years. And he says, but, but he said to me, my grace is enough for you. Because my power is manifest in your weakness. So, yes, okay. How do we move on from the third mansion? Teresa says, study diligently how to be prompt in obedience, okay? So you're, what's going to happen in this third room? God's will is going to come to you through all those things we said, huh? You're going to be hearing it much clearer, and now the question is, get moving. Get moving. Uh, another thing Father Benedict said to me once was, the sign of spiritual growth is that the time between when you sin and when you repent gets shorter. And, and it's like, yeah, imagine if you, like, so you, if you step on your family member's toe and then you go to work and you feel bad about it and they're mad. And then you go and tell your friend at you know, the coffee break, well, you know, my brother was like, put his foot in front of my foot. It was right there. It wasn't me. And then you drive home and you think, well, you know, I was really tired when I stepped on his foot. And, you know, he should know that. And you know what? I, I, if I say I'm sorry, then I'm going to have to deal with all of the, well, you know, other issues. So I'm just going to like be nice and we'll just move over it. And we go through all this, right? And maybe two weeks later, you, you say, yeah, I'm really sorry. I stepped on your foot. Maybe, but it's the idea of stepping on the foot and then going, Oh, I'm sorry. I'm such an idiot. I stepped on your foot. Like get it over, get it, get it done faster. So um, if God says something to you, uh, and usually with me, he says it like three times. That's like my thing. When I get something three times, do it. 
and, you know, people, somebody will say it to you. And, you know, I, I was telling somebody that when I joined the choir here, uh, I remember the day it was last August and was sitting there at mass on at eight 30. And all of a sudden I heard the music and I hadn't been really paying attention. I'd been coming here for about a year, uh, but I was also going all over different places. And I was like, Oh, the, the music is here. It's, it's really quite nice for a modern parish. And I've kind of made, um, a reputation as somebody who mocks church music quite a bit. And especially, you know, the post Vatican too. what John, what Pope Benedict calls the cult of the banal. So anyway, I, I remember that it just popped into my head. Well, oh, the music is beautiful. Maybe you should join the choir. And then I went, I don't join choirs. I mock them. <laughs> then they get to the end of mass and the, um, this lady was sitting in front of me. She just turned around and she said, you have a lovely voice. Have you ever thought of being in the choir? And I was just like, no, no. And, uh, anyway, so then I was just like, oh, I'm just going to go up and say hi. So I went up to Jessica and she was like playing after mass, you know, and, and I said, you know, I, I, um, I think I might want to join the choir. How do I do it? She goes, you're in. <laughs> so, so that was my third thing. I was like, what am I going to do now? You know, and I still ducked it for two months, but she didn't give up on me. So there you go. Okay. So, uh, but she says this, start really saying, okay, now, okay, God, you want me to do this? Let's do it. I'm going to move faster. Um, speak often with someone who knows the world for what it is. A good spiritual director. Now, this is tough. Teresa says a bad spiritual director is worse than none at all. And, and to have a good one is tricky. The priests don't have time anymore for the most part to be, to do spiritual direction because they are CEOs of these major corporations, which annoys a lot of them because I think they would love to do more spiritual direction. Try, try, but the truth is, you might have to really, you know, find one. One of the joys of religious life was they were provided to us and I got Benedict Rochelle. I know, right? But, um, but it's, it's, uh, it's something that, you know, religious life, that's one of the, the promises to the, you know, you give us your life and we'll give you a spiritual director. But you might have to find religious priests, uh, religious order priests or nuns, the people who are trained Anyway, Teresa says you're gonna. This this is something you should do. And and again, well, how do I even start finding spiritual director? Um, the diocese should have an office of this that you could call, and they will say, yeah, there's four people in your area who are trained spiritual directors, and then you go from there. Okay. Um, and then she's gonna say one of the things to get moved out of the third mansion is to learn to suppress any focus on the faults of others focus on your own, but that that's going to be one of the ways the devil tries to disrupt this place you're in is he starts to whisper to you the faults of others. Uh, In the book, Hostage to the Devil, Malachi Martin, who was an exorcist for many years, says the the only thing the devil won't, doesn't lie about, and and in that sense, he doesn't have to, and the, the thing he knows about us the best is our sins. And one of the things he will do is whisper to you the sins of others uh, because that will give you a jolt of power. It's a dark, wicked power. And then you drop that bombshell on somebody and they look at you and go, how did you know that? Right. But uh, Teresa is saying this will give you feelings of superiority. It'll absolutely trash your humility. You know, you'll be trying to be good and all of a sudden it'll pop in your head. She's kind of a hypocrite. And we women, boy, can we see this stuff. In the convent, our founders used to say, sometimes we need to be less women. (laughs) I remember another one uh, in the small communities, there were only six nuns living there. In Boston, we were 96, but in the little houses, we were six to eight. And I remember one of the superiors saying to me as a young sister, when I first arrived, she says, just a word of advice. If you have something against one of the other sisters, don't even think it because she'll know. (laughs) 
right? And uh, anyway, so, okay. Yes, I know. I know. Meanwhile, most of the men are like, what? What? (laughs) Anyway, no, I'm only kidding. Okay. Yes. So, you know, I talk about the brain Mm-hmm. You know, yes i know yes sometimes we need to be less women huh? okay <laughs> All right, so now we're moving into the fourth mansion. And this is the the place where she calls the suspension of the faculties. So up to now, it's been us kind of really making this this train work, like self-discipline to show up and trying to stay focused and cutting out things that are the weeds and things that are distracting us. And and really, you know, and it's, it's been kind of a little bit of effort. She says, now... It flips. And she says, it's like, it's like you going to someone's house, right? In the castle. And, and now you go in, you're now the guest of the host and the host takes over. Let me wash your feet. Let me feed you. Let me make you comfortable. This is what happens in the fourth room. So up to now, you've been kind of getting yourself ready to be a good guest, And now you are ready to receive the hospitality of the Lord. She says, now, the fourth mansion, since these places are closer to the king, their beauty is great. There are things to see and understand so delicate that the intellect is incapable of expressing it. Uh, This is, uh, so, she says this, supernatural experiences begin here. In the fourth room. Supernatural experiences. What is she going to say? What, what is she talking about? Huh? She says, this is a kind of recollection, which I believe is supernatural. There is no occasion to retire, nor to shut the eyes, nor does it depend on anything exterior. Involuntarily, the eyes suddenly close and solitude is found. Without any labor of one's own, the temple of which I spoke is reared for the soul in which to pray. The senses and exterior surroundings lose their hold while the spirit gradually regains its lost sovereignty. Some say the soul enters into itself, others that it rises above itself. Um, But, okay, so she says there's two kinds of prayer in the fourth level, the fourth mansion. The first one is initial recollection, and the second one is the prayer of quiet. The initial recollection is this, that in the fourth room, you have suddenly, while you're praying, a gentle awareness of the presence of God that doesn't come from you. It's, It's like all of a sudden, boom, you feel he is with you. And she says, Images, thoughts, and ideas present themselves not coming from you. It's, it's, it is, he is sharing himself with you. Number two, then, the prayer of quiet, she says, is a quiet, deep happiness in which one has the certainty of being known and loved by God. Distractions happen because the person keeps wondering why this happened. What is happening? I, I remember this once. So once when I was a novice, I, I've really, my whole time, I've had two the times that this happened in, in nine years of religious life, but I was young and also an extrovert and distracted. But anyway, but one time um, I, we were making, it was on an eight day retreat, silent retreat, which for me is like, just kill me, God. <laughs> just, just kill me. And, uh, but anyway, I was like day five and I really was trying and, and, um, I was in chapel. I decided I was going to try to pray most of the night and, and Jesus was in his monstrance up there on the altar and it was dark except for the candles around him. 
I, I can still see it so beautiful. And anyway, um, I remember that it's like everything kind of disappeared except the Eucharist. And I felt like I really did feel like God was there with me. Now, um, I'm, I'm not, I hope this doesn't come off as being boastful. I'm just telling you it really happened when I was about 26. And, but the whole time I was like, what's happening? What's happening? What is this? What is, you know? So when I read this of Teresa, I was like, I remember that even having this beautiful experience, which was making me cry. I was still really like watching it happen. Huh? And so there you go. But uh, she says, just send those away and say, you know what? It doesn't matter how this is happening. It doesn't, it just, just go with it. Just go in, get into it. Huh? So um, this idea of the certainty of being known and loved by God for Teresa, this is why he made you. He made you to enjoy him. He made, he wanted a kind of being who could love him and share the joy of love. And so everything in your life has tended to this moment where God can love you, give you this sense of his presence and his love. And so Teresa's just like, okay, go with it. Go with it. Well, this is why it's the fourth, right? Because you have to go through the three kind of first. Now, Teresa says, if God wanted, he could plop you walking down the street doing what, you know, whatever, playing Wordle right into the seventh room. But it's not the normal way. So it's, it's like you, you've gone through the courtyard, you've gone through the first room, the second and the third, and you've made yourself available for this. Yeah, but is at this point, like Faustine, at this point, the devil's going to attack you more? Oh, yeah. Yeah, well, she says the third room is where a lot of the demonic attacks happen because you're doing works of charity. You are making, you're doing works of self-denial. You're really living the Christ life. And there's nothing that freaks the devil out more than that. So that's where a lot of it, but she says he's going to stay at it all the way up, I think until like the fifth or sixth. And then he's going to just go, whoa. Uh, and, you know, and step back. Every so often he'll pop in again. One time he uh, appeared to Teresa in the garden. She was like, oh Lord, what did I do to deserve all the favors? And she's looking out at the garden and she's, she sees a vision of the devil dancing with her through the garden as if to say, everything you're doing is really working with me. And Teresa was like, uh, is that the best you've got? Really? You know, but I mean, if that was me, I would have, that would have been dead. I would just have someone, it's like, please God, no demonic revelations. I, not, I, that's just not my thing. <laughs> right. You know, <laughs> like, but anyway, okay. So, okay. So this is something to look forward to. Hmm? She says, one of the things that's going to happen is weeping, which will be consoling with tears for you. Right. And we hear that this phrase, the gift of tears. We have Jesus saying in the Beatitudes, blessed are they who mourn, blessed are they who weep. She says, if I began to weep over the passion, I didn't know how to stop until I got a severe headache. If I did weep over my sins, the same thing would happen. so, So in this state of prayer, you're weeping the way Magdalene or whoever, the woman depends on who, which uh, school you ascribe to, wept over the feet of Christ. In that moment, she's happy. You get that, right? She's never been happier in her life than in this moment where she's weeping so copiously that it's enough to wash Jesus's feet. And that's where Teresa's like, so God showing himself to you, giving himself to you, makes you immediately go, I don't 
one of these things is not like the other. But it's okay because he's holding you up. Uh, so um, go with that. Go with that. Now she makes a little sharp one of her treesisms. You know, women tend to be emotional. So when you know, I hear you, when you hear me say the gift of tears, that's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about compunction. That's a word we don't hear very often anymore. Compunction, huh? But it, it's a word the church used to use a lot. That you're stung uh, by your self-revelation, and you see yourself. But it's okay because Jesus loves you. I love Flannery O'Connor. My favorite writer says that. I, you know, I'd kill myself, but Jesus loves me. So I have to keep walking and happy. Right? Okay. What are the marks that you're in this fourth mansion? She says, having tasted divine delight and grown incomparably more in all the virtues than in the previous degrees of prayer, people at this level experience great detachment from worldly things, from people and from their own will. You can see that, huh? So here you've been raised into what St. Paul calls, I was raised into the third heaven. We don't quite know what that means, but I have a feeling it's something like this. So you've been really given the certainty of the presence of God. And in fact, um, back to my little story of when I was a novice, Years later, I said to God when I was praying, hey, um, can you turn that one on again, please? That thing that happened. And he said, that was enough. Wasn't that enough? I was like, yeah, I guess. I guess it was. Like, these are not experiences that you need to happen daily. uh, Because they are uh, so, you know, Oh, I'm overwhelming. But you could see that if you've had the experience and you know now for sure that God exists and he loves me, really, what's going to bug you now? What is going to get you worked up? What are you going to be so like obsessed with now on this earth? Number two, they live in interior freedom without fear of men, of illness, and of trials. Again, um, why should I be afraid of men? As St. Paul says, no, Jesus says, don't be afraid of the one who can only harm the body. Be afraid of the one who can throw the soul into Gehenna. But don't be afraid of one who can only harm the body. And then finally, they desire more severe penances out of love for God. So now, living the sequela Christi, the life of Christ, the way Jesus lived, becomes, that becomes the obsession. She says, you know, when when Jesus says the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head, this now becomes something that when you're at this level, you want Um, and yeah, can we take that a little bit too far? I don't know. Yeah, the Muslims, other people, they take the belt, whatever it is, right? They, yeah, they, they punish themselves so badly, yeah, for penance that they're bleeding or whatever else, yeah, whatever they do. Could you take that point too far? I mean, if it becomes a point of pride, then it's gone too far, where it's like, you know, I'm big. I'm the like tough saint guy here, you know, but it reminds me of uh, when you were talking. So when I did the research for the Fatima movie, one of my favorite stories, and I I wrote it hugely into the original draft and it got kicked out. But uh, one of my favorite stories was after they saw hell, the children, uh, the three little children who were like, what, eight, 10 and 11 or something, right? Seven, eight and 10 or 11. Okay. So they see the sinners being tormented in hell and they come out of that vision and faint away. They swooned right away. Uh, And, uh, but they had asked Mary, what is hell? And she said, this is where poor sinners go. 
So after they saw where the suffering of the souls in hell, the children began to do penances, which would shame you and I. And it's to me, the miracle of Fatima is not the son, really, it's the children. Because they went from being kind of silly little kids. Lucia liked to dance and have pretty ribbons. She's a little vain and she didn't want to learn to read. And now she's doing these penances for poor sinners. And the children had this expression for sinners. They would say it to each other all the time. You know, like, you know, their mother would send them sugar in their lunch and they would like put it out and say for sinners, etc. Well, one of their things, one time they were talking to Mary, the three children, and Mary looks at Jacinta and Francisco and says, don't wear the ropes at night. That's too much. And Lucia goes, what ropes? Like she didn't know. Her little cousins had devised during the day they were wearing these rough, tight ropes under their clothes for sinners. But Mary said to them, not at night. That's too much. I just love that. I just love that. Huh? So anyway, it's an interesting thing. Well, this is why, by the way, Teresa says you need a good spiritual director. In that case, Mary was functioning as the children's spiritual director. But sometimes we ourselves, we just don't know what's too much. And a spiritual director will tell you, yeah, that's, that's too much. Uh, my mother used to say, the best fast is the one where you fast your tongue. And then she also used to say the best almsgivings are those that take the form of a reaching out. So in other words, you, you clear something out of your life to make room for something good to do. You're not just doing it as a show of strength. Huh? I like that because it means I can still eat as much tortellini as I want. So, okay. Um, the important thing in this level is not to think much she says, but rather to love much. Just let yourself be loved and just love back. Dwelling in the fourth mansion, Teresa says, is like being a child at the breast. What a beautiful image. You don't have to do anything. Just stay there. Um, so she's, so here it is. Uh, receptivity. Uh, Teresa says, you know, you don't need to make efforts to understand what's happening. Just go with it. Never try to force your mind to be empty. Just when God's ready, he will take care of that. Avoid excessive vocal prayers, though. Don't fill up the silence. Sometimes sit with the Lord and just gaze on him. Do not pay attention to distractions. Just gently put move back. Don't feel humiliated. Don't feel, you know, I should do better. Frustration. And she's like, just go back. Your body's going to distract you. Don't, don't let it shock you. It doesn't shock God. And seek greater solitude. But don't neglect your work or your community. Your responsibilities or community. But do uh, find time for greater solitude. And there's the, there's the rub, eh? It is 8.33. Just, can I have five more minutes? We have to get through like three more rooms, but we're going to do it like that because honestly, what is there to say about transforming union anyway, right? Uh, the fifth mansion, she calls the wine cellar. I love this image. I know, right? I love this image. She says, when you get to this place of prayer, it's like the Lord wishes to place you for when he desires you as he desires you. For other people, for works in the church, even for just for you, like that's the wine cellar. You're a great vintage now that the Lord is going to reach for when he needs to share it. How cool is that? I hope I'm a Pinot Noir. All right. Uh, not a Merlot. I am not a Merlot. All right. But she says that the soul, while all this is going on, is saying, what is happening to me? She says the soul, even in the fifth room, 
is remaining doubtful, whether it's imagining these things or whether it was asleep or whether, you know, it's got a thousand suspicions. Is God really doing this? And, and she says, don't think this is some kind of dreamy state. It's not. She says, it's, it's like you, you've died to the world. You've, you're losing, you know, you're out, you're a little bit outside of time. You're, you're kind of unable to think because you're being, you're, you're being overwhelmed. You're, you're in God's presence. Uh, so somebody I read recently said this was, this, this was the experience of Pentecost where the Holy Spirit just fills their minds and their hearts. And it makes them like, right? You know, um, we have in the scriptures, the spirit rushing upon people. It's like, what does that mean? I think it's, I think it's this. The spirit just rushing on us, huh? Um, so, so anyway, she says at this point, uh, he doesn't want to enter, want the door of the faculties or the senses to be open. He wants to enter into the center of the soul without going through any door as he entered the place where his disciples were when he said, peace be to you. So uh, I think what she's saying here is, uh, you know, you're, you're just, you're doing your stuff. You're showing up, you're praying, whatever. And then he will be in all of a sudden, peace be with you. I'm here. And not something you can make happen. But when it happens, you know, again, just go with it. Now, she says there is still the gnawing worms, even at this level. My scapular is choking me here. It's like, okay, that's like a gnawing worm. Okay, yeah, right. Uh, For the last three rooms, I've been thinking about my scapular choking me here. So, okay. Um, Gnawing worms. And she says, it's like the worm in the story of Jonah. You know, it's one of my favorite stories in the scriptures. Jonah, who has spent three days preaching and converted Nineveh. And then he goes up on the mountain to watch Nineveh be destroyed. And he's sitting there and God grows a little tree for him. So he has some shade and he's sitting there and then Nineveh doesn't get destroyed. And he's like, excuse me. And then God sends a little worm that eats his little shady tree. And now he's like, where's my tree? And why isn't Nineveh destroyed? But uh, she says, so, so this, the point of the story is even this prophet, this great prophet who converted Los Angeles in three days by walking through it. You know, when Jesus says the sign of Noah, it's his, it's his, of Jonah, it's his preaching. This great prophet can still be ridiculous with his little preferences and things like that, okay? So she says there remain some worms even in the fifth room. These are self-love, holding others in contempt, judging one's neighbors, a lack of charity, and not treating others like ourselves. How about that? Even at this level of prayer, we can still uh, be subject to this. Um, And then she has this great thing. And um, honestly, I guess I'm going to, I'm going to, um, I'm going to skip through the silkworm. We just don't have time. Um, sixth mansion, ecstasy, the ecstatic awareness of God. For St. Thomas Aquinas, ecstasy is the highest degree of knowing that produces love that we can experience. Right? That you love more when you know more. And so for St. Thomas, Ecstasy happens when we get this picture that, that is it kind of the, it's just all we can take. It's all we can understand. And it makes us love in a, in a corresponding way, uh, which causes zeal. And, and she calls this raptures, right? She says, in true raptures, I believe that God wholly ravishes the soul with himself. This is a beautiful statue. If anybody, when you go to Rome, St. Mary of the Mary Victory, Maria Victoria Church is Bernini's statue of Teresa being pierced in her heart during uh, what would be the sixth mansion of prayer. 
And um, this is the level where she says you can have flight of the spirit, where the spirit seems hurried away, levitation, wounding, um, the unexpected sudden revelations, etc. Um, and then seventh mansion is transforming union, um, which she basically calls a spiritual marriage. And this is what we would say happened to Mary when she becomes, when the, when the angel says to Mary, uh, the Holy Spirit will overshadow you, you know, and the child to be born will be called the son of God. Like this idea of Mary experiencing transforming union with God, which produces his, um, you know, uh, his son. Um, kind of interesting, but that Mary kind of lived in the seventh mansion, at least in this moment here. So, okay, um, there it is. Um, very, very ridiculous, ridiculous journey through one of the great classic works of uh, prayer. But hopefully you'll return to it on your own and um and you know we have to move on uh because we have other other uh, things to visit this summer but anyway thank you for your patience with me i am not a Teresa of avila expert but it's been great for me to kind of um do this with you we're going to end with a prayer of Teresa that pam found and then everyone can be on their way let us pray in the name of the father the son and the holy spirit amen Govern all by thy wisdom, O Lord, so that my soul may be serving thee as thou dost will and not as I may choose. Do not punish me, I beseech thee, by granting that which I wish or ask, if it offend thy love, which would always live in me. Let me die to myself, that I may serve thee, who in thyself art the true life. Amen. Father, Son, Father, Son, Holy Spirit. Amen. Thank you very much, everybody. Good night. Thanks for joining us for this episode of the Mystagogy Podcast. The music for this podcast is provided by George Sarah. You can learn more about his music over at georgesarahmusic.com or by following the link in the show notes for this podcast. Until next time, be well and God bless.